0: One thing that strikes me is that this is really only a problem for the believer, right? As an atheist or as a non-believer, whatever you want to label yourself as, you really doesn't matter. If You say, yeah, there's evil and suffering in the world because this world's a shitty-ass place.
1: Welcome, fellow humans, to the Reason to Doubt podcast, where two skeptics examine claims and the evidence for them for your entertainment. I'm Jordan, and with me, as always, is... Jared, nice to meet you. If you're joining us on episode 22. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, if you are a new listener, welcome. So today, we're going to be talking about the problem of suffering, which is also known as the problem of evil. Essentially, the the universe, the world we live in, is pretty rough and involves a lot of suffering, a a lot of heartache, a lot of hardship for people throughout the ages and animals too, and yet at the same time, we're told by some religious traditions that there's an all-powerful, all-knowing man on a beard sitting on a cloud watching everything and controlling it and making sure that we're all taken care of. And those two ideas seem to be in conflict, and that's the problem. Uh, Hume summarized an earlier philosopher by the name of Epicurus.
0: He said, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then from whence comes evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God?
1: This has been formalized through the ages. Uh, One version of the argument, putting it into a logical syllogism, goes as follows. Premise one, if an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and omniscient God exists, then evil does not. Premise two, there is evil in the world. Conclusion, therefore, an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, and omniscient God does not exist. So what that means is, omnipotent means all-powerful, infinite power. Omnibenevolent means perfectly good. And omniscient means perfect knowledge, knows everything.
0: Yeah, sometimes omnibenevolent will be called all-loving.
1: Right. Uh, So if such a God exists, then he would remove evil. We have evil, therefore such a God doesn't exist. That's the logical problem. Now you can defeat... A logical argument by showing one of the premises isn't true, but you can also defeat it if you can find any possible combination of events or circumstances that is an exception. Doesn't matter how implausible or unlikely the event is, if you can find it, then the logical, it is not logically true. We're going to talk about some of the solutions to these problems. Proposed solutions. Pur- You're right. Excuse me. Some alleged solutions to these problems. And if any of them are even no matter how implausible if any of them could possibly work, then the logical problem is solved. And so that leaves us with the second stage, which is the evidential problem. So, okay, it may be logically possible for this to be true. But does that match the evidence we see? Does the world we see match the arguments they're making?
0: Yeah. And this is only a problem for theists who believe in the tri god, those three specific things
1: which would represent all the major monotheistic religions, at least. Yeah. So, this is a serious issue that uh, theists have wrestled with, and uh, they've come up with various explanations for w- ways to try to reconcile their beliefs in this all-powerful God with the observation of suffering. And whenever someone comes up with a solution to this, it's called a theodicy.
0: There's a lot of theodicies, actually. and. There's some common themes that run through theodicies. As you'll see, you know, we're going to go over like four or five of them here in this episode, but you will also see some commonalities in between them. They share bits and pieces from one another, um, and some of them build off of one another as well.
1: And if you talk to someone, you're probably going to hear more than one. Most people draw from various different solutions.
0: Yeah. And one thing that's going to separate this episode from things we've done in the past is we're going to actually do a little bit deeper dive into some of these theodicies. Um, so we're just, we're going to come go over like the layman's version and then we'll go a little bit deeper in them. But just so you know, there are literally thousands and thousands of books written by thousands and thousands of theologians on this subject. And we cannot do these topics justice in a 45 minute to an hour episode.
1: Rose upon rose in the library filled with books just on this page. And it's not, recent there have been people have been wrestling with this for literally millennia so it's unlikely we're going to come to the a decisive conclusion in the next 50 minutes
0: yeah so if we don't do it justice just know we're trying to give an overview and scratching the surface sort of episode
1: uh so let's dive into the theodicies the first one is one you're probably going to hear anytime you bring up suffering to a theist and that's the issue of free will
0: yeah. So this one, simply put, is that God is justified in allowing suffering because, so that free will can exist. God gave us free will, and as a result of that free will, uh, sin, evil, suffering entered the world. And if God didn't give us free will, then we would just be automatons, and then it wouldn't be worth living. So.
1: And that would be bad.
0: That would be bad. Presumably.
1: Well, That's what they say anyway.
0: I don't know. Uh, I kind of like automatons. It's a fun word. So, But... Uh, this argument goes way back in history, but it was really made popular in the 70s and 80s by Alvin Plantinga, who tried to reformulate the argument to show that it really wasn't a problem. <laughs> and uh, he kind of broke it down into two premises. Uh, the first one being that God cannot act contrary to his nature. So you may have heard somebody say something like, oh, God can't make a burrito too hot he can't eat, or you know, <laughs> God can't make square circles, or boulder so big he couldn't lift them you know, you get the idea. But more importantly, what Plantinga was talking about was that God can't create beings uh, with free will that would never choose to act in an evil manner.
1: What he's saying is that if there is free will, then in order for a being to have free will, it must, in fact, choose to act in an evil manner sometimes.
0: Correct. But what Plantinga says is that God is justified for allowing evil to exist because the value of human morals offset the cost. So it's a... It's a sum total kind of thing. God doesn't create the evil. He's not actually creating evil things. He's just creating something that is capable of evil. But the fact that we have free will, like, over trumps that basically.
1: It's kind of a utilitarian argument. The yeah. utility of free will is greater than the evil it causes.
0: Yeah. Now, this argument, uh, it doesn't cover things like natural disasters, so like the earthquake in Haiti that killed, you know, I don't know, 300,000 people or something crazy like that. Um, it doesn't cover you know, animal suffering and things like that. Uh, there are some really good arguments about animal suffering. Uh, we're not going to go into that in this this episode.
1: So the, the free will theodicy cannot stand on its own. It, it can't be the only answer because it only answers one type of suffering, and that's suffering from moral evils. Right. When a human being goes out and robs someone or, or sets a building on fire or whatever, he is making a free choice to do that and that caused suffering. But this says nothing about a volcano erupting or a drought happening that wasn't caused by, you know, man-made quote climate change and stuff like that. Yeah. So and like you said, uh animals don't have free will, but they suffer a heck of a lot. <laughs> yeah. Just
0: go to go to any dairy farm and you'll you'll see that. But um the other thing I could think of a few problems with this argument just right off the bat um most religious people most christians and muslims believe in some form of heaven and apparently in heaven suffering doesn't happen it's a suffer free zone no suffering allowed
1: no sin and no sin everyone's been perfected and we're all in perfect communion with god
0: sinless suffer free that's the important thing for heaven okay but Apparently, we also still have free will in heaven.
1: And we all freely choose not to sin, which is kind of weird because Plantinga specifically said we couldn't do that.
0: Right. So you kind of can't have a cake and eat it too in this scenario. Like, if the argument holds that, you know, we can't have free will without being evil or sinning or, you know, in- introducing suffering into the world then it goes to withstand that you don't have free will in heaven because heaven has none of that stuff. So
1: Right. And on the other hand, if you said, well, I guess we don't have free will in heaven. Well, the whole reason we did this entire enterprise was because free will is so immensely valuable that it was worth all the suffering. But if heaven is perfect, it's a place with all these beings with no suffering and no free will that kind of underlies that. So either way you go, you seem to have problems.
0: This theodicy isn't the most popular because it has so many holes in it, you know, but it's probably the most common theodicy that you'll encounter if you're talking with a theist because it's easy for people to grasp their minds around. Oh, yeah, it's obvious that we have uh, suffering because, you know, we have free will. Like,
1: and it it makes surface level sense. I mean, we know that people are terrible and do terrible things. So it makes sense that people will suffer as a result. Yeah. But doesn't answer everything. So they need something else. Yes.
0: Speaking of something else, uh, another theodicy is the best of all possible worlds, theodicy. So this is kind of like God's master plan. According to these people who, you know, put this theodicy forward, we live in the best possible world. And I say, really?
1: like So, so yeah, yeah, basically <laughs> the idea is, OK, so we have free will or whatever other theodicy you have to have suffering. But we have the least amount of suffering that could possi- that we could possibly have.
0: Right. Yeah. If you were to have like a bajillion worlds, like all of them would have more suffering than this one because God has balanced it out so that we have the free will. We have all that. But this is the best possible world with the least amount of suffering possible. I think one of the the Muslim uh, theologians, Al Ghazali, he was an 11th century Islamic thinker, and he asserted that there is not in any possibility anything more wonderful than what is. So for Al-Ghazali, it was basically like all these negative experiences are in fact like part of this great cosmic plan for Allah or God or whatever, which is perfect by definition. So like for him, all of the suffering was encompassed within the perfect plans. I don't know if that makes sense,
1: but... Yeah, basically God has a perfect plan for the universe. The universe includes suffering, but the reason that things seem bad is because we can't see the whole picture right we are limited uh beings not only do we have limited moral sense but we have limited knowledge and if only we could see everything then we would understand how great the universe is
0: yeah so for for muslims according to uh nasrin razatim he said that the notion of evil and human suffering is not portrayed in the islamic revelation as a problem to be resolved but rather as part of the human experience so for them, it's not even a problem. They don't consider it an issue.
1: Well, for him, other Islamic think- thinkers disagree.
0: Yeah. But so this theodicy really is nothing more than just a wishy-washy answer that relies on, on mystery. So I don't know if you've ever heard, the you know, God works in delirious ways. I mean, I'm sorry, mysterious ways. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it basically puts the burden on you, the believer, to just trust that despite all evidence to the contrary, things are peaches and cream. It's all kittens and rainbows.
0: And so the next theodicy, however, actually attempts to provide an answer for why they're suffering and is kind of like a subset of this best possible world theodicy.
1: Yeah. Theologians as far back as Irenaeus, who was a second century Christian, have argued that humans are in essence a work in progress. Uh, John Hick more recently built on the work of Irenaeus, and he argued that the entire endeavor of earth is a soul-making endeavor. So he provided a soul-making theodicy. He argued, quote, it is an ethically reasonable judgment that human goodness slowly built up through personal histories of moral effort has a value in the eyes of the creator, which justifies even the long travail of the soul-making process. This is a subset of the best of all possible worlds, theodicy because that's part of it, that this is the least suffering we could have for the soul-making endeavor. But that's the reason why we have suffering to begin with it is required in order to make us better
0: yeah it's basically like a soul factory and like we move through the factory and it like beats us up along the way so that way we can get tougher and it makes us better souls
1: it's like a soul gym except like we got free weights but every once in a while the gym motor comes around just like beats you with a rod you know because that's his training plan
0: yeah you'll actually hear people talk about this too like uh you let your kid fall out of the tree so he can scrape his knee because you he'll learn to not climb the tree like that again. He gets stronger from it, basically. Like He allows the suffering so that way the kid can learn
1: his mistakes. Or you're working out, you experience pain, but that helps you. Or what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right. et cetera. Uh, so this could defeat the logical problem because this gives a possible way where the suffering would be explained. So the logical problem is taken care of. But from an evidential standpoint, uh, we have to ask, okay, so we have this model that the Earth is a soul-making gym for human beings in order to improve us. Does that match what we observe? Is can we, Let's imagine what the Earth would be like if it was created by an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God and it was made specifically to train humans on how to be better humans. Would we get the world that we observe? Now, I'd argue, first of all, it's not even clear that the premise works that you need suffering. Uh, I mean, you can learn courage through suffering through, but surely you can learn how to be courageous without tsunamis and mudslides. In the, yeah. And uh, you can learn that like dishonesty lying to people isn't good without needing asteroids to wipe out the dinosaurs. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Basically you could have suffering on a smaller scale and still get a, a good outcome from it.
1: Right. And so if this was truly made expressly for the purpose of training humans, you'd you'd expect there to be a minimum level of suffering. In other words, there'd be zero gratuitous suffering. So there'd be no suffering that doesn't lead to virtue building because the point is virtue building. That's the only reason suffering has value. So we can't say for sure that that's not the world we live in because I'm not omniscient. So it's impossible for me to say with a hundred percent certainty that there isn't some weird cosmic web where you know uh little timmy gets hit in the face with a falling brick and then in america that leads to you know somebody <laughs> their heart's growing two sizes or something yeah. but to maintain that you'd have to believe that there that we are in fact in the minimum suffering world so some good has to come out of every baby born with a crippling genetic malformation every case of childhood cancer Ultimately leads to good things. Every famine, every tsunami, like literally, we could not have one ounce, one tiny, tiny bit of better living. We, this is it. We're the max. We're like, it, it, you couldn't improve our life at all if you wanted humans to get better.
0: And this seems weird to say this, but it just seems like that doesn't make sense to me. So,
1: yeah, like all of our experience is shouting to the contrary. Like yeah. this is such an extraordinary claim. I it's it, it's just hard to swallow, which itself isn't an argument, but I mean, really? Like every single kid who dies of leukemia? Yeah.
0: And how does the kid who died of leukemia learn anything? He's dead.
1: That's true. Like that that's another good point that there's sometimes what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, sometimes it does kill you. You know, yeah. like you're not getting any stronger for that. Sometimes cancer just just beats you up. You know, like uh, (laughs) and not so there are definitely forms of suffering that preclude uh, growth, but there's also suffering that makes you worse. It's not true that every time you suffer, you come out better for it. Uh, There's many serial killers and sexual predators or people who abuse their loved ones. In part, a, a correlation to that is that they suffered similar hardships when they were young. And so their suffering led to more suffering. It didn't lead to them becoming better.
0: But it's all part of God's plan, so eventually it's going to have a better outcome.
1: I mean, maybe. Uh, Another issue, we mentioned animals before. Animals come back here. A lot of animals are suffering, and in order for the the premises to be true, every single instance would need to be necessary. But there's a, a lot of animals that suffer every day and most of it goes completely unnoticed by human beings like there's some fish getting absolutely torn a lot torn apart right now in the bottom of the ocean and i will and me and no other human will ever know about it how is that suffering helping
0: yeah a lion on the savannah just took down a gazelle like
1: yeah right it it, like what 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 is that doing for us so I don't see how a praying mantis female ripping off the head of her mate is helping me be a better person or any other human be a better person.
0: Right. And this one kind of, you know, you're going to say like, couldn't God just create these beings, like understand these concepts anyways.
1: Right. So John Hick asserts as part of his argument that all of this is necessary. Let's grant all of it. All of it's necessary because it's more pleasing to God to have us learn the hard way basically. Well, first of all, how would he know that? I guess he's getting it from the Bible, but I mean, how would you know? Um, Secondly, does that make it right? Just because it's more pleasing to God, I would would assert doesn't make it good. In fact, if your preference is like, you know, I could create beings that are already perfectly moral and understand everything and have all this, the knowledge that they'd get from experience, but I'm just going to give it to them because I already have it. I could do that but i would really prefer if they got it by torturing babies so that's what we're gonna do like if that's if that's your value system are you really a good person yeah
0: and couldn't you just make the people think that they tortured babies and like that didn't actually do it like if you're all powerful you could just like give them the memories of it like
1: you could but then you kind of run into the problem of like how do we know he didn't do that because like we could have we could have literally just been created one second ago with all the memories. So now
0: we're a hard solipsist and we're brain in a jar somewhere.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so to sum up this, uh, best of all possible worlds subset soul making, it requires earth to be a gym to make us better, but that would entail if God is perfect, that this gym would require the least amount of suffering possible. And that just doesn't seem to mesh with what we have
0: right again the, the evidentiary problems like right so another theodicy so this one was originally uh, put forth by augustine so saint augustine great theologian um he basically said that evil and suffering is a just punishment for original sin
1: you suffer because it's your fault because you're a bad person <laughs>
0: This argument suggests that it is impossible for God to have created evil. So if you, this kind of goes back to Plantinga's thing and Plantinga built off of this. But uh, what we call evil today isn't actually evil. It's just a falling away from the goodness of God. So the more separated we are from, from something uh, that is good, the further we are from God. So we call that evil, but it's really just a spectrum. Uh, and this all goes back to one little act uh, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve.
1: The the time with the apple and the talking snake? That's the one. Which, so. like, why did he put the talking snake in the garden? Don't ask questions, okay? You're right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so this, I credit where it's due, at least this kind of bundles together natural evil and moral evil. So the problem with the free will argument, and this is kind of like a free will argument, except it just puts the free will, like, all the way back, right? Right. So the problem with that was that it didn't explain natural evil. What this one does? It says, Hey, all of those volcanoes and droughts, it's actually your fault humans because you ate that app. Well, not you, but Adam and Eve, they ate that apple.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Augustine basically says that because of this original act of sin, all, uh, and so for Augustine, like he believed that like literally everybody was offspring of Adam and Eve. Like we could, if we had, if he knew about genes, and he would say that the Human Genome Project went back to Adam and Eve, like the biblical Adam and Eve. And so that we inherited this this sin and this corruption. Um, and as a result, we are all being justly punished for that
1: one act. And uh, this isn't a uniquely – this is an Abrahamic idea, but it's not uniquely Christian. There's more than one Abrahamic religion. Right. So it's also present in Islamic thought. An Islamic theologian in the early 20th century said – The only reason that the gardener plants a tree is for the sake of the fruit. Man is the goal of creation. Therefore, he is the last creature that comes into existence. Yet in reality, he is the first. Meaning that everything that happened from the beginning of time to now all centers around humans and our actions and what we did.
0: Yeah. And everything is justified. Uh, All the suffering is justified. So like in this scenario, the tree is the justification, because in the end, it's going to bear fruit. So all the toil and everything that happens to get the tree to where it is to bear fruit doesn't matter. There's fruit at the end.
1: I guess this makes sense. If you already bought in to the Bible and you already believed it word for word, if you were a religious fundamentalist, or if you're in the, what is it, 40% of Christians that think the universe is 6,000 years old or something.
0: Yeah, this one only works if you believe in a literal historical Adam and Eve. Like,
1: right. As a depressing number of Americans believe. Right. As I used to believe once upon a time before I read a book. S- well, I read a second book. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> only two books. I've only ever read two books. But... The
1: B-I-B-L-E. Anyway, uh, so yeah, obviously all of modern science tells us that the Genesis account is not literally true. We didn't come from Adam and Eve. We are all evolved apes that sprung up in the African savanna. So the entire idea of original sin doesn't make sense. Like the, the modern understanding from the erudite Christians is that that's allegory, which is fine. But if that's allegory, then original sin no longer works.
0: Yeah. You'll have some theologians who will try to say that original sin still applies, even though it doesn't trace back. Like there's some arguments for like how we've corrupted ourselves as humans and like, but the, the main idea is that this is trying to skirt the issue of humans being able to commit evil.
1: Right. Because if you think about it, so we are being punished because we committed evil and we committed evil because of our sinful nature. I wonder who made that.
0: Yeah. God created us with the capacity for creating, for being able to do evil things. So isn't the onus on God who created us? But what Augustine actually said about that was that, uh uh-uh, God created us with the ability to be corrupted and it was the devil who corrupted us and made us evil. So God didn't make us with the ability to be evil, just be corrupted.
1: Hang on. Didn't God make (laughs) the devil?
0: Don't ask questions. (laughs)
1: Uh, As Hitchens put it, we were created sick and commanded to be well.
0: Mm, Great quote. Yeah. Yeah. This whole, the whole idea of original sin just doesn't make sense. It's, it's bogus.
1: So that's a theodicy that puts everything on you as a bad person. Uh, So the last one we're going to look at is kind of interesting. This one's called compensation theodicy.
0: Mm, I like being compensated.
1: Yeah. Well, apparently so does everybody. Uh, so Shiite Muslim thinkers, for those who are not familiar with Islam, there's there's a lot of denominations of Islam, just like there are of Christianity, but there are two like main branches. You've got your Sunni Muslims, which are most Muslims around the world. And then you've got your Shiite Muslims, and they're mostly concentrated in the Iran-Persia area, mostly. So Shiite Muslims have an idea called the uh, Compensation Theodicy. So in their view, In life. If one person does something that harms another, then we expect the person who did the the harming to pay compensation for that harm to the person that they wronged. So if I burn down your house or I kick in your door whatever, I have to replace that. So they extend that to God. So God has this perfect plan. And sometimes that plan means people get hurt. You make make an omelet, you got to break some eggs, right? So... Allah has to break some eggs, and sometimes people get caught up in that. But Allah then has this duty as the as a being of perfect justice to compensate the person for the wrong that they've suffered at his hand. Um, and it, unlike when a human does it, we just kind of like bring you back to normal, to whole. Uh, they say because Allah is so much greater, he does more than that. He's required to do more than that. So Allah must satisfy you be like beyond all imagining to the point where you are completely satisfied. Basically uh, if you had been given the choice ahead of time, which essentially, which importantly you weren't, but if you had been given the choice to have nothing happen or to suffer and then get this amazing reward, you choose the reward because it's that good. Christians have a similar idea. The afterlife, the odyssey that was put forth by Thomas Aquinas back in the day. And it's, you know, uh been popular ever since but they restrict the benefit to heaven so for the christians heaven is just going to be so awesome you guys that whatever suffering you had here doesn't matter because heaven's just so great and but these islamic thinkers and there wasn't just it's kind of like as i read i'm sure there were important people along the way but they kind of attributed it to like the whole body of Mm -hmm. doctrine um they said, well, why would God be restricted to heaven? I mean, he can make it right now if he wants. So who are you to say that God's going to wait till heaven, basically? It sucked to suffer, but it all worked out in your favor and you're way better off in the end. And to be fair, I actually prefer the Islamic version way more than the Christian version. Because the Christian version kind of downplays your suffering. It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, little Timmy had leukemia, but it's going to be cool, man. It, it'll be cool. Just It'll
0: all be made right in the end.
1: Right. Whereas the Islamic view like acknowledges that your suffering is real and it matters and it's terrible. And therefore it puts the burden on the person who caused it, God to fix it.
0: Yeah. What I like about this one is they're not saying there is no problem with evil because God is causing all the suffering. Like,
1: right. Like, like they're just, I I lay all the cars on the table. Hey, God's perfect plan. Sometimes going to suck for individuals, but he's going to make it right with those people. He's going to square up. So, I'll give credit where it's due. Like, at least it's honest, it's upfront, and, like, it, it puts the burden, I think, where it properly belongs, on God. That said, though, there's still some problems. First of all, that they give you this, this dichotomy. They say, okay, so you could choose, like, hey, you can not have the suffering, or you can have the suffering you got plus the reward, and you'd always choose option B, the second one. Right. Be-
0: yeah but would you though
1: well maybe if the, if the benefit was enough but what if there was another option so like maybe this is a false dichotomy so imagine like there's an extremely rich person who's kind of a jerk and for reason of his own he decided to stab you a few times nothing lethal but it really hurt and it wasn't pleasant you went to the hospital and he paid for everything and then he gave you like five billion dollars afterwards and so i mean you have a ton of money you recovered I mean, yeah, you got stabbed. You have $5 billion now. so like, Sign if, me up. Right. Sign me up, too. But wouldn't it have been even better if I didn't have to get stabbed and I just got the money? You know, right. so like, like, yes, I am satisfied, but I'd be even more satisfied without the getting stabbed part.
0: Yeah. Why do we have to break <laughs> eggs in the first place?
1: Right. And so this kind of runs into similar problems of the best of all possible worlds, The Odyssey. Um, because yeah, Allah is going to make it right in the end, but if Allah is in fact perfectly good, like all merciful, the the great merciful one, uh, then it seems like he would want to inflict the minimum amount of suffering. So he is going to compensate you, but like if, if someone did something terrible to somebody else and said, well, it's okay because I'm going to pay them off. We probably wouldn't praise them for their altruism. Even right. if they said, "But I'm going to give them a lot of money," like, <laughs> yeah. like, like if a person like tortured some puppies, but then later made sure they had a really good home and were just like the happiest puppies, we're still not totally down with the torture part, you know? Right.
0: It actually it goes so this actually does contradict one of the three omnis, you know, the the all good like.
1: Right now, you could argue. That and basically you then get into the best of all possible worlds loop that we can't see it, but it is in fact, an minimum amount of suffering that all is perfect plan um, is such that, uh, you know, it's perfectly just and nothing bad happens without good coming of it. You can assert all those things, but once again, just walk into a childhood cancer ward and tell me that every single one of those had to happen.
0: Yeah. I think, so those are the only ones we're gonna cover in this episode. There's a lot more. But one thing that strikes me is that this is really only a problem for the believer. Right? As an atheist or as a non believer, whatever you wanna label yourself as, you really doesn't matter. If you say, Yeah, there's evil and suffering in the world, because this world's a shitty ass place. Like
1: <laughs> Right. Like like it is it is a problem in the sense that we have to deal with evil and we have to figure out what to do about it, but it doesn't like it fits perfectly into our worldview because the universe is a cold, uncaring place that doesn't care about you at all.
0: Yeah. The beautiful thing about our worldview, I think though, is that we can actually try to find ways to improve and to reduce suffering. And we don't have to just say, Oh, well it'll be all right in the end one day. You know, like we're motivated to make it better now.
1: It's it's not going to be all right in the end. This is the only place we have. So yeah, we, we have to act now to make things as good as they can be now, because this is the only life we're going to get. Yeah.
0: And uh, I think one thing I'd probably like to bring up is like, when I was a believer, I was going through this, the problem of suffering was one of the biggest things that like I struggled with. Some of the things I started to think about was like, well, what if God isn't all powerful or what if he just sucks? Like,
1: <laughs> right. uh <laughs> was it George Carlin did a bit where he was kind of talking about the problem of evil. And he said, what if maybe just maybe God just doesn't give a shit. Like he just doesn't care. So it's true as the problem of evil is not a problem for atheists, but it's also not a problem for many kinds of theists. It's only really a problem. If you have a God who is all powerful and also all knowing and also perfectly good. So if he wasn't all powerful, maybe he tries his best to reduce evil, but he just doesn't get it right every time.
0: He's sitting over there sobbing in the corner because he just can't take cancer away from little Timmy, you know? It's like he's trying, he just can't do it.
1: He's doing he's pushing as hard as he can, but he just can't. Or maybe he's not all knowing. So like he he does his best, but sometimes things go wrong because he didn't figure it out perfectly. Or maybe he's just a jerk and he doesn't want to make life good. Yeah. That's which I mean, if if God's just not not a nice person, not not a nice being, like if he just doesn't care about us, then hey, everything works.
0: Yeah, well, I think why it's important to talk about this is because a lot of times uh, atheists, agnostics, will use this as an argument against the existence of a God. It just blanket like straight out, there can't be a God because there's suffering. Right. I know right. I I made that argument myself before.
1: I'm an atheist because of the problem of suffering, therefore there's no God. Like the Holocaust happened, therefore there's no God.
0: However, it only applies, to, like we said, to the tri god There can still be a God out there, as we pointed out, that is you know, lacking or one of the other things. So,
1: Or it, there could be multiple gods. So yeah. like in Hinduism, there could be good gods, but also evil gods, and they're struggling. And so sometimes the evil God's going to win out.
0: Yeah, we talked about like, well, maybe we should include some of the other, you know, non-Abrahamic um, religions. And we we're like, well, actually, they, they deal with this already. They have they, It's not a problem for them, so we can't talk about it. Like, right,
1: yeah. So the easiest, the simplest solution, in my opinion, would be to just give up one of the contradictory facets of your gut, which is, I understand a big deal if because god is supposed to be by definition all powerful all good and all knowing et cetera et cetera like that's the god that the abrahamic religions are based on
0: yeah well here's a question for you jordan i want you to put your christian hat back on okay you're you're a christian you're still a young earth creationist actually and you're you're struggling with the problem of suffering like you read a book and you're like man this really sucks You want to maintain your God belief. You have to give up one of the omnis. Which one do you give up?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. Man, that is a really good question. Uh, You know, I think I'd probably give up omnipotent. Hmm. Because if God... It it seems like if God is all-powerful... If you truly have unlimited power, you could probably get around the omniscient part somehow you know uh it, it's it I can imagine if if you had truly unlimited power that you you could get around your limited knowledge. but if you don't have unlimited power, you might have rules that constrain you or just things like you just can't do or it like you have you have a you're restricted by whatever your magic system is basically right you only have so many spell slots in a day and man, I already burned them all, you know, man, I got to take a long rest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I mean, I, for me, obviously the, um, the all loving or, you know, perfectly good God. Like I think that has to stay there, you know, if I'm trying to maintain my, my belief in a God.
1: So that's what I would probably do. Like if I could just pick one, but if I'm looking at the God of the Bible, I would either go, God's not omnibenevolent. Like, basically, God's like, I want it my way, and that's just the way it is. Deal with it. Because then that's, like, everything he does from there on fits. The God of the Old Testament is like, you know what? I just really don't like the Amalekites. So, you know, screw those guys. <laughs> you know, Or I would become a heretic and convert to Marcionism. So, basically, uh, the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of Christ. Like, Christ is a new God that's here to, like, save us from that old meanie. The Old Testament God.
0: Yeah, I think if uh, if you're looking at this like just critically and stuff, it would be really easy to actually justify the belief in the God of the Old Testament and the God of Islam, uh, Allah. So you have Christian, Judaism, and Muslim all right there, right? By just giving up to omnibenevolent, because that seems to fit with the character that's described in these holy books.
1: Right, and I think you could. Well, I personally wouldn't worship a being that thought that genocide was okay. That's w- once you've committed genocide, I don't think you can come back from that. Like, I think that's going to be a hard pass for me. But
0: <sighs> people do it, though.
1: I yeah i I could at least understand. You're like, look, maybe this guy isn't like the best, but he is like literally all powerful so maybe bending the knee is the right move here <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> that is a good
1: point actually and i i've said uh to some of my christian friends you know i don't think like if they, they've asked me suppose i to you that god exists the christian god would you be would you worship him And i was like well i wouldn't be an atheist anymore because i'm now convinced that god exists i'm not sure i'd be a christian because i'm not sure i can worship a being the being that's described in the bible but i will admit it would be very tempting because i super duper don't want to die like super duper don't want to die yeah
0: and so... <laughs> yeah I, I might pretend like i worship him and i'm going to church on sunday every morning because like, <laughs>
1: like, i i would like to think that i would make this principled stand but if you're dangling literally eternal life in front of me man i don't know that's going to be tough <laughs>
0: Yeah. Pascal's wager becomes real at that point. Like,
1: <laughs> Well, then you, the, we're going kind of far afield, but then you're, you, you've you eliminated all the problems of Pascal's wager. All yeah. the problems are like, well, you don't know that one, this is the God that actually exists. And you don't know, like, what, like there's a lot of ways that it's not a, it's a false dichotomy. But if you're like, no, for realsies, the Christian God exists. Well, like, well, yeah, now Pascal's wager might maybe make sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I think just kind of wrap things up though. Like, it's pretty crazy that this problem is so real and it's still with us today. Like it has not been solved. Like I've yet to see a really good answer. Like even the ones we covered here today, like they don't compass everything There's Something's missing in each one of them. While some of them make good attempts, they're just not, you know, whole. And,
1: uh, most of the Christians, particularly the more thoughtful and like open Christians will admit that like, this is a real problem that they still struggle with and no one re- has it a hundred percent figured out. Even the ones who think like it's solved from a technical standpoint will often admit like it still bothers them. And I think it yeah. should. I mean, if, if anyone, I think for this not to bother you, you'd have to lack some basic amount of empathy. You know? Yeah.
0: Where, I had a a conversation with a friend the other day and he was like, yeah, I really struggled when my dad was sick and in the hospital, like uh, believing it was hard to believe in God at that point. Like, which Makes sense, right? Like you're going through something horrible and you're suffering and somebody, you know, is suffering, like you just want it to go over, be over with. Like
1: you, you you supposedly have this close personal relationship with this being who, you know, could fix it. I mean, that that's gotta be tough. So it is a real problem.
0: The last thing I think I want to say about this is if you just look at it from a surface level and you just go, oh, Yeah, free will. That makes sense. So we can, boom. But if you just go just another level underneath of it, and you really start to think about the implications of what that means, the whole arguments, they start to fall apart. And that initial logical argument that we put forth, like you have to look at that a lot more closely.
1: So that's our show on the problem of evil, also known as the problem of suffering. Hopefully the show didn't cause too much suffering for you. Uh, If it didn't, if you enjoyed it, if it Brought utility to your life, uh, leave us a like or you know, comment or whatever on whatever platform you use to view it. If it did really lead to your suffering, if we've put more suffering out in the world, then definitely tell us via a comment so that we can know to immediately cease and desist. Promoting suffering, or you could just not listen. I guess
0: <laughs> you you cause your own suffering.
1: Yeah, you you could exercise that free will to see yourself out the door. <laughs> now no. that we've told everyone to stop listening to us, uh, please don't do that. If <laughs> yeah, if you we'll- have if, if you have any ideas for what you'd like us to cover, uh, definitely let us know, and we'll try to get to it. Uh, Next time, we are going to be back to non-religious topics. So I believe we're going to be looking at Reiki, the spiritual healing technique. Which sounds religious, but it's not. Yeah, it's spiritual, but not religious. Yeah, Yeah. no physical contact. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And remember, you've always got reason to doubt.